Politics Uncensored with Ali Milani on FUBAR Radio. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Politics Uncensored. I am your host Ali Milani and we have a wonderful show uh, booked up for you today. So I hope you'll be joining us for the full hour to hear from some brilliant guests Um we had the autumn statement this week uh, from uh, from the current government going into a general election. Um, and I think I mentioned in a previous episode uh, how important um, this autumn statement and the next budget will be. It'll probably be the last one before a general election. And therefore, Rishi Sunak's economic strategy will be under immense scrutiny, uh, as will um, his chancellor's budget. And so we've got uh, Gabriel Nuss- Nussbaum, finance creator, uh, Jamie Thunder, policy and Public Affairs Officer at Z2K and Andy Bell, CEO at Center for Mental Health, uh, joining us to discuss some of the key issues um, coming out of the budget and what the likely future will look like um, with what seems to be a a much more sort of doctrine of Rishi or Rishi Sunak style budget, um, having gotten rid of Suella Braverman, brought in um, David Cameron, it seems like this is closer to the actual ideological position um, of Rishi Sunak. So we're going to be get delving deep into economics and the economy this week. Uh, but before we get to those guests, we've got a brilliant returning guest, and that's Natalie Balmain, winner of Channel 4's Make Me a Prime Minister. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us. How are you keeping? I'm good, Ali. It's good to see you again. Thanks it's for good to me. see you. Natalie, uh, before we get into the politics... I've had a I've had a bit of a nightmare in the studio today. All right, and I I want to tell I want you to be honest with me about how bad this is. So me and my producers were having a chat okay. about how bad I am with current like current affairs that isn't politics, and I couldn't name a single Beyonce song for like twenty minutes. On a scale of one to ten, how, don't cancel me. How bad is that? Um, I don't know if I could do much better. Oh, see, it's not just me. They're they're open mouthed, by the way. You can't see them, but they're open mouthed next door. I, I yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I'm really sorry. You have made yeah. me feel so much better about myself. Um, there we go. So uh, you can tweet us at Ali Milani UK and Natalie's Twitter account and cancel us if you'd like. We neither of us can really name. Uh, although I, I, in the event, I got single. I got to single ladies. I think that's where I found uh, yeah. a single name. No, but I let's... think that's the one I would have jumped on as well. The Beyonce fans are going to be out for us. Yeah, and uh, trust me, they're very, very passionate people. I think we're both yeah. cancelled. So yeah. let's do our final show of politics on together and get straight into uh, This Week Unwrapped, where we talk about some of the key stories um, from the week's politics. Uh, And I want to start off um, with COVID. Uh, The government's former chief scientific advisor, Sir Patrick Vallance, has been giving evidence to the COVID inquiry this week. He revealed that scientists were not aware of the Eat Out to Help Out scheme until after it was announced. I think he said he heard about it for the first time on TV. And just to remind listeners, Eat Out to Help Out was Rishi Sunak's sort of flagship policy when he first came in um, into government uh, to try and encourage people to get out and and eat out, in in essence. Um, Sir Patrick Vallance also said that the first lockdown was a week too late. He criticized the lack of leadership in the run-up to the second lockdown. And he he also admitted that he considered resigning from his position due to the amount of abuse he and his family were receiving. Natalie... It, the more we learn about what happened during COVID, the more infuriating it is about just the level of incompetence, intransigence, um, and and just how many lives were clearly lost as a result of government responses. What's, what's your view of what Sir Patrick Vallance has said? 
I mean, this is pretty damning stuff. It doesn't really get much worse than this. We were all sat here in the UK laughing at, at Trump's response to the science. We all remember the inject yourself with bleach comment that uh, he managed to get out on stage. But ours were, were doing exactly the same thing. They were, they were virtually scoffing at our, our scientists. You know, they were out here just saying things that simply weren't true, making decisions, as you said, that eat out to help out. Pretty obvious to anybody that, you know, if we've just had a lockdown and the idea is we stay in bubbles, suddenly then bringing a bunch of people together in a restaurant is probably not a good idea. And and the worst thing is, is that these guys were still trying to trumpet what a great job they'd done mm -hmm. up until this has all come out. I mean, let's just remind ourselves, the UK had one of the highest rate of excess deaths in under 65 than almost any other country in Europe except Bulgaria. And by mid-2020, we still had the highest cumulative excess mortality rate across all groups so yeah. we were not doing well at all and that, and i guess one of the key things that's coming out of this inquiry is that that wasn't by accident that was clearly a failure of leadership and competence from government i mean the eat out to help out scheme i remember even during the second lockdown was linked to um a lot of cases being spread uh, of covid being spread um Everybody, I mean, it's not it's not a qu question of this Captain Hindsight thing that Boris talked about. We were all saying that the lockdowns happened too late, that the government didn't act quickly enough. Is it not a, a little bit frustrating that what was probably the defining moment of a government, the biggest crisis probably since the Second World War, certainly the, sec the biggest health crisis in one or two generations, was met with such poor decision-making and leadership from government. And a lot of those people survived to this day, including Rishi Sunak. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned the Second World War there. I think that's a very interesting point because, you know, doing the right thing is often not the easy thing and especially not an easy thing for our economy. You know, doing the right thing in World War II, you know, we did suffer economically afterwards. That we, You know, people did have to live on rations. We did have to rebuild, but we knew that ultimately we'd done the right thing in, you know, not just for for humanity um, and for our country and for people, but, you know, that was the right thing to do. And everybody knew that, OK, the economy is going to take a hit. It seems like our, our government were primarily concerned with the economy and mm -hmm. people's lives. Let's do these schemes to boost the economy, eat up. But, you know, there were people who didn't get to say goodbye to their loved ones when yeah. they were dying of COVID. You know, that's the reality of it. And I think your highlighting of the numbers is pretty stark, the number of people that died, the the excess deaths, um, the fact that we performed so poorly compared to the rest of Europe. W what do you think should happen to those political leaders responsible, Boris, Rishi, et al.? What do you think should happen? I mean, I, I think people who've seen me before know that I'm not one for mincing my words. I, I mean, I, I think they should be, you know, criminally tried, to be honest. I, I think they should face face criminal proceedings and potentially go to jail because you know they're in a position of responsibility to the people of this country and it's not just a case of they tried their best and and, and it didn't work out mm -hmm. we've been shown now they were ignoring medical advice they were ignoring scientific advice yeah. that was in the best interests well if of, you're well if the taxpayer the, the people who pay for them to do the, the jobs that they do i mean i guess if you're let's say you're a truck driver and you cause death as a result of negligence in your job, you would face trial, wouldn't you? So what's the you difference here? Would. You absolutely would. Right. Speaking of incompetence, let's now go to the Home Secretary. Um, the Home Secretary has denied calling Stockton North a shithole after Labour MP Alex Cunningham accused James Cleverley of using the term during PMQs. 
Cunningham alleges the incident took place yesterday afternoon during his qu question to the Prime Minister about poverty in the area. This was right after PMQs. James Cleverly's spokesperson said he did not say that word and would not. He's disappointed people would accuse him of doing so. Um, so this seems to be a little bit of a, uh, um, uh, you know, interpretation game. If, if, if you go listen back on the clip, and I think anyone can go on Twitter and find the clip. Um, James Cleverly is saying he called Alex Cunningham a shit MP. Alex Cunningham is saying that James Cleverly called his constituency a shithole. This is a shit show, is it not? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just if, if there's anything that I can say was a, a learning curve for me, particularly going through make me prime minister, is be very, very careful <laughs> about what you say yeah. and the language you use, because you should know that if you use something that could be misinterpreted. Yeah. So here's the, it's going to look bad either way, but you know, just here's the question. I, 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 I'm really interested in this because, uh, you know, you you would think that that the House of Commons, the chamber, would be seen as where you would expect the very best of Britain, the best behaviour, the best of debate. Yes, rigorous debate, rigorous disagreement, and sometimes even highly passioned, impassioned sort of atmosphere. But what we actually get is probably the worst. Of Britain and the 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 behaviour in there is often really really shocking. Um, what is you know what is your view of what goes on in there? Because you have everything from the way that they roar and they shout at each other down, calling each other shit or sh shitholes or whatever. It just seems like a really low standard for public office. I mean, it absolutely is, and I know I know I've talked about this before about leading by example, but you know, the they show complete disdain for each other half of the time uh, and, and quite frankly i would you know i would argue that whilst they think some of their debating one-liners are hilarious you know put downs i would argue it verges into bullying and and discrimination of each other so if they're showing complete disdain for their uh, you know other members of commons well it's no surprise that they show some of them are showing complete disdain for us isn't it and as far as james cleverly saying he, he did or he didn't say it, i mean this is the man who has both claimed to have been on the end of, you know, racial abuse and also claims that racism is not a problem in this country. So, you know, what does he know? Yeah, and then we do go to actually the main headline um, out of the last um, few days, and that is the autumn statement. Some of the key points um, that we've seen come out over the last couple of days are that minimum wages set to rise to £11.44 per hour from April 2024, and this will apply to adults over the age of 21. This is in opposition to the wide-scale call from trade unions uh, and charities and NGO groups who've called for £15 an hour. Benefits will increase by 6.7%. That's the September rate of inflation, as is customary with the increase coming into effect in April. Uh, Chancellor announced that we'll have an increase in local housing allowances, um, which is on average £800 support next year. National insurance for employees will be cut by 2% and reforms will be made for self-employed people. Um, Natalie, what's, what is your initial sort of gut reaction to the the statement that's been released the autumn statement i mean it all sounds lovely doesn't it, it all sounds great yeah. i mean I, I do want to give credit where credit's due you know business tax cuts were very important but then you know i think that they're them putting them up in the past was completely useless anyway because at the end of the day increasing corporation tax only affects the people who are actually paying it doesn't it it doesn't tackle the huge multinationals that are avoiding paying it in large quantities. So it, it, all, all putting things like that up was doing was, was 
discouraging new investment in our country and, and burdening small to medium enterprises that were actually paying it. So, you know, I do welcome that. But, you know, let's be honest, it does feed, seem a little bit like just trying to feed the 5,000 with your one fish. You know, mm. why are we not trying to? Well, Rishi, Rishi, Rishi Sunak's main sort of win, I think, will now be the inflation being halved. So everyone will remember yeah. he had his five key priorities um, that he announced last at the beginning of the year um, and include in them included halving inflation. Now, bear in mind, inflation was at 10 percent. Um, yeah. And he's been well, whether he's been able to do that is is up, is up for question. But that has um, now happened. Uh, bearing in mind, that doesn't mean that prices are going to fall, but they're just they're not in, they're increasing at a slower rate. Do you think any of this is going to have any breakthrough? I mean, look, the Tories, if you look at every by-election and every poll, are pretty pretty toast. So do you think this is likely to have any sort of movement for the Tories or is it too little too late? Oh, it's by far too little too late. I don't think this is really going to help them at all. And if anything, all they're doing is moving slightly closer to uh, the sort of economic and tax stamps that Labour would take anyway. So I don't think people are going to lose anything mm. by... Uh, you know by the tories going and there's they undoubtedly will the calls from the sort of right of the tory party are to cut inheritance tax obviously because it's the top four percent of the country who pay 80 percent of the inheritance tax what do you think about those calls i mean i, I don't i honestly don't know who they're trying to appeal to anymore uh, i mean maybe uh, they just think that their time in government's done so we've got a year to go let's just do all of our ideological stuff before we get kicked i mean out. I, I i slightly do think that actually to be honest because let's remember in the same week that rishi told us that we didn't have any money to fix these crumbling schools around us he slashed tax on champagne so yeah. <laughs> on, let's just be honest they're getting what they can out of us yeah until I mean, they're gone. we I, I we used to get called champagne socialists so this might be a new champagne capitalist that's <laughs> That's being invented by by um, by Rishi Sunak. Uh, Natalie, while I've got you, last thing I want to ask you, uh, and I hope you don't mind, but I, I saw you um, you were involved in a really powerful piece in the Metro about uh, your diabetes diagnosis um, and and reaching out to to people who are clearly suffering from the same thing. Um, do you mind talking to us a little bit about that? Because I think it was so powerful, um, and I've seen it on the timeline so much. People, you know, people particularly with diabetes. Often it's not talked about. It's one of those diseases that really doesn't get that much public attention. Do you want to talk to us a little absolutely. bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, specifically, I do want to talk about the fact that I have type 1 diabetes, which gets even less press because, um, you know, there are about 2 million people living with type 2 diabetes in this country and about less than 300,000 living with type 1. And mm. mainstream media very often doesn't specify when they're talking about it. And they are yeah. two very different. Um, what What is the difference? Well, I mean, mainly um, type one is an autoimmune condition, so it's not caused by anything. It can't be prevented. You know, you often see very young children being diagnosed with type one and it's through no fault of their own. Your body, uh, your immune system, for some reason, attacks itself and it can turn into many autoimmune conditions such as lupus, psoriasis. But in type one, you just simply stop producing insulin. And of course, insulin is what you need to convert all of your food and drink into energy. So without it, you would very quickly die. Um, and the other difference really uh, type two is, is you've built up a resistance to your insulin. So you still produce some, um, but your body isn't, doesn't react to it. So type two can generally be treated with tablets unless mm -hmm. it gets very bad. Type one has to be treated with insulin injections and insulin injections can very easily be fatal. So there is a daily 
battle with, once you're on an insulin injection to you know make sure you're having enough to stay alive not so much to kill you so it's, yeah. it's a lot and how do you do that so how about. so you've you've got to have insulin injections every day i assume yes how do you I mean, know I was how much on about 12 i now have an insulin pump um, right. which makes my life much easier and it's part of what i like to talk about and campaign about because it's the availability and access to med tech right know, which is that's the pump now. that you've got now i assume goes on your arm right yeah, so yeah. I have a, a glucose monitor on my arm, which reads my blood glucose levels. And I will have an insulin pump, which I wear on my leg, which yeah. delivers my insulin. Right, so one tells the other one how much insulin to put in. Right. That's, that's the I thing. You. Now, they, the, you know, this is a development that's just come out this year. And I'm really pleased that, you know, our NHS and the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, you know, their guidance is that type 1 should have access to this on the NHS, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. um, but now the tech does talk to each other, yes, which previously it didn't do. So now the potential for your tech to save your life, you know, if it knows that you're dropping, it can cut off your insulin for you and right. save you from that potentially fatal low. It's a really, really incredible piece of technology and yeah. something that I want to talk about because, you know, not everyone's aware it's it's available to them. And yeah. so and it's something really so the, the, do most people with type one diabetes have this or is it only just now come out? So most people don't have it. And what we're trying to tell them is go out and request it. You have a right to have it. It'll save your life. Absolutely. Um, not everybody has this. I mean, the, the the pump and the monitor talking to each other, that is brand new this year. Mm -hmm. But monitors themselves are an advent of the last 10 years. And there is still not everybody in this country necessarily has access to that or an awareness. You know, even just a little bit of education about it to see if it's something that they do want. You know, it might yeah. not be for everybody. Some people might be very happy you know, with yeah. their routine, but it's certainly about getting the message out there. So and they might not even know that it exists at this moment. This is so new, Exactly. Right? So right. that people know it exists and know that if it's something that they want, you know, it can be provided for them. Well, all the power to you for, for, for raising that. And I hope if you're listening, if you know someone with type 1 or type 2 diabetes, uh, that you do go uh, research a little bit more. And then obviously specifically on these pumps, it's something that you can uh, request, um, hopefully from the NHS uh, at any given point. Um, and make a decision for yourself as to whether you think it's best for you natalie thank you so much for having Thanks, coming Alex. back on we're definitely going to see you again soon next time me and you're going to come up with three beyonce songs that that, okay. that we can that we can figure out that's the homework for both of us to go away and do that's natalie balmain winner of channel four's make me a prime minister joining us for this week's uh this week unwrapped uh moving on next we're going to be joined by gabriel nusbaum finance creator and former financial analyst as we unpack this autumn budget or this autumn statement um it's it's important i mean look most of the times when we're talking about i think sophie ridge said this on her show on sky news that sometimes when you talk about the economy um you lose viewers and it gets a little bit boring but it's so important to the lives um of ordinary people in the uk um and this statement is going to have such uh, an important impact on the economy and the finances of all of us particularly in a cost of living crisis so um, we are going to be joined by Gabriel, finance content creator and former financial analyst to hopefully unpack what this is. And he'll be joining us after this. FUBAR Radio presents The Dating Show. So we have got the incredible Sunita. How does Sunita whittle down the people she wants to talk to to the people she doesn't? What's your criteria? Well, you've got to be an adult. Um, <laughs> okay. That's always a good start. Always a good start. But when I'm an adult, not just like 18, you've got to be like not young enough to be my child. Um, <laughs> you have to ideally 
be London based because I am. Yeah. Although I don't mind if you've got a country pad, that would be nice. So at the minute we're going with age and location are important. Age and location are good. Every Friday from 6 pm. Fubar Radio. Fubar Radio presents Access All Areas. We have the absolute icon, mm-hmm. legend, Janice Dickinson. I'm here. Do you still enjoy doing reality shows or do you now see it as more of like a part of your job that you like have to do? I do. I do really enjoy it. I, do, I don't enjoy the actuality of, of eating fish eyeballs. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that side to Amazon. Or goat's gonads, <laughs> yeah. or vagina of cow. Yeah. But you do like the sort of social I, side, do you? Like just the... The social side was fantastic. Just getting to know people mm. and uh, sleeping with people and eating with people when we didn't really have enough food. Access all areas. Every Wednesday. FUBAR Radio. FUBAR Radio presents... As handsome as you imagine. What did you have for breakfast that morning? Almost certainly a pie. For breakfast? Yeah, because we started really, really early, right? At the butchers. Yeah. We started proper early, that's yeah. like seven o'clock. I would have had at least six pies. A day? A day. That is a lot of pies. No, no, because we sold them at the shop. That is a legitimate answer to the question, who ate all the pies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From 1pm every Monday... Welcome back, everybody. It's Ali Milani on Politics Uncensored. Uh, we're not talking Beyonce in the next segment. Promise. We're done with that. We, we are going on to the autumn statement uh, by Chancellor Jeremy Hunt um, and his chance to update the government on the state of the economy and announce spending plans. Um, so despite Jeremy Hunt previously saying tax cuts were virtually impossible due to the state of the economy, the Chancellor announced a 2% cut to national insurance for employees State pension payments are also set to rise by 8.5% and the triple lock will be fully honoured. Joining me now, we've got Gabriel Nussbaum, finance content creator and former financial analyst. Gabriel, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Is this like like your World Cup when things like this happen, autumn statements? Do you know what? I can't stand politics, which right. is great to come on this <laughs> yeah. show. Not that politics I don't. I, I, <laughs> not that I can't stand it. I mean, my world is so personal finance. I yeah. love the nitty gritty numbers, and this is where these two worlds collide. Yeah. Um, so I know it's my responsibility to keep myself <laughs> informed like that, but this is my like, this is my chance to dip my toe in. Yeah. Well, maybe when it's finished, may- hopefully dip my toe out. Well, you'll either hate it more by the end of this, or 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 you'll love it. Let's let's get into it. So this autumn statement for you, what are the headlines? What are the big things coming out of it that well, people should know? I like to look at things like I said from a personal finance perspective because Brilliant. there were plenty of things discussed. You know, like state of the economy, are we growing, inflation, all that kind of stuff, which obviously I do pick up on. But the main things for me are always what's going to affect the average person's pocket. Mm-hmm. And for, for that, they've got their key headline, right? 2% drop in uh, uh, national insurance tax, which is clearly something that's attractive. You know, it looks good. It's more money in the pocket. But it's one of those ones that looks good on the surface, but underneath there's other things that need to be dissected a little bit. And what are those things? So you get, get yeah, yeah, of course. Because so, they've I mean, said it's something like £400 back in your pocket, isn't it? Yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, Obviously, that's a great thing, £400 back in your pocket. But then you do have to kind of analyze what's been happening over the past few years when it comes to, you know, your actual salary. So let's start with income tax, for example. Mm -hmm. Those salary bands haven't gone up. So let's say, for example, I'm someone earning £50,000 a year, which is a brilliant salary. I know that, but I'm just using it as an example. Now, with inflation and all that kind of stuff, you're probably going to be pushed up into the higher tax band eventually. That's the idea. You want to get your promotion and go to the next one. However... 
with inflation and all that kind of stuff, the value of that physical money is reducing. Yeah. Um, so by not moving the tax band with it, yeah. so if it sticks to 50,000 pounds, it's just over that, something like that, the actual real value of your take home yeah. money is getting less and you're being pushed into a higher tax bracket as well, meaning you're paying more tax. Yeah, okay. So this is, when we, when we talk about wages not rising with inflation, mm. I think a lot of times that goes over people's heads. What we mean is, you might be earning more, but everything else costs more. So the rise doesn't mean much. And then now you're going into a high tax bracket. Exactly. Now saying. you're into a high income tax bracket. You're paying more tax. And so in terms of the actual physical amount, how much your money is actually worth, yeah. even with this uh, national insurance cut, yeah. it's less. Yeah. It's, that's just a fact. And then if you're on what is, I think, the average across the UK, I think it's 29K still, if I'm mm -hmm. not wrong, or maybe that's just London. But if you're on the average wage, which is 29, um, I mean, even if you're not in that higher tax brand, you're still fucked, aren't you? Because <laughs> inflation, I mean, inflation at 10%, which is what it was at the beginning of the year. I mean, I know we're now much lower, but this 400 pounds doesn't even begin to touch the surface of what you've been paying no. extra on food and energy and travel, X, Y, Z. Exactly. So this is the hard part for everyone. You can't actually like put a number to it. I mean, you could if you get all the quantitative analysis and all that kind of stuff. But the truth is what they're giving back to you isn't exactly what's been taken away from you. The only flip side that I would say that obviously works in the government's favor is that inflation has been skyrocketing around the entire world. Like mm -hmm. this has just been a number of dominoes that have fallen one after the other that has just absolutely spiraled inflation out of control, right? Yeah. So the government can only do what, what they can do, right? Mm -hmm. They can't just go, oh, well, we're going to drop inflation, you know, yeah. straight back down, can well, we? Well, they can't drop inflation, but I think, and I know you hate politics, but this is the political <laughs> element. They're being compared to to other G7 countries, for example. Mm -hmm. Why are we, why is our inflation, or why was it at 10% when America's was much lower, when yeah. France's was much lower, Spain's was much lower, and that's that's what the criticisms will be. Yeah, of course, but then you really have to potentially look at the Bank of England, and you yeah. know, it's there, there's the ones that are setting the interest rates, the monetary policy, they're actually in charge of yeah. that, yeah. Not, not the government. So the other, what I was saying is why it's a flip side and why you can look at it a different way is that at least the government are doing something. They're mm -hmm. trying to help and they are trying to put money back in the pockets, even if that number isn't exactly what left your pocket in the first place. Right. And minimum wage set to rise to £11.44 per hour uh, from April 2024. Benefits will increase by 6.7%. What are some of your views on, on, on these? I mean, local housing, housing allowance going up. We've already spoken about national insurance, state pension. Pay payments are set to rise. Yeah, so we're throwing a lot of numbers at the listener right yeah. now. So what, essentially what I want is, look, the economics when it comes to politics can be mm -hmm. kind of boring and people mm -hmm. can switch off because they don't know. Like, to be honest, most of us have such busy lives, we don't have time to kind of figure out yeah. what 8.5% means to me. What I would love for you to get across is, what does this budget mean to real people? We've done the, the national insurance. How is it going to affect their day-to-day -day lives, if at all? The truth is, times are just really tough right now. That is the end of it. And with those few numbers that you were saying before about, you know, minimum wage going up and the state pension triple lock um, being kept and benefits going up in line with September and October, it just shows that the, like the government have done the right thing, if that makes sense. They're not really going above and beyond here. They're right. not going all of a sudden we're going to put loads and loads of money back in your pocket, but yeah. they're doing the things that are good compared to what some people expected would be slightly worse. Now, what I mean by that for an example is... They raised benefits to with 6.7% according to that September's inflation number. Now, what they could have been cheeky and done have been like, hey, well, actually, uh, October's number was four, That was the rumor, wasn't it? Yeah. Exactly, 4.7%. So we're going to be really cheeky and save ourselves some money and only go with that one, whereas September's the one they're meant to be using. Yeah. What they did was they did that. Now, 
do you give someone you know a, a standing ovation because yeah. they've done what is like the right also, thing and what's expected I have to be honest that's the old political game you brief something much worse than what you're going to announce or when you announce it it seems better like the inheritance tax the, the rumor was we were going to get cut in inheritance tax that never came as well but yeah with inheritance tax i'm i think that one was like not so necessary and perhaps the conservative government actually did the right thing here because mm -hmm. you're actually putting money back into the pockets of people that have very large estates they're going to be handed down <laughs> yeah, right yeah. so maybe it wasn't the best time well i think i mentioned it in the previous segment 80 percent of people paying inheritance tax are in the top four percent of voila oh yeah exactly so, so that would be another kind of headline but if the actual kind of w when that actually gets analyzed properly you're looking at it being like well we're in a cost of living crisis and you're giving money back to the top four yeah, yeah. percent so maybe it's right they didn't do yeah. that one but listen this is an awesome statement. Traditionally, what it's known for is just analyzing how the economy yeah. is doing. It's not the time to make massive reforms. Obviously, yeah. I mean, we used to get budgets twice a year, didn't we? And that got changed. Yeah, so. exactly. But then they're going to have the reforms coming out next spring again, probably most likely they're going to have one more like kind of big hurrah before they have a, you know, the, a general, yeah. the general election coming up. So this was just like just something to show that they're moving in the right direction. Yeah. Um, and anything that was given, you kind of have to take as a plus. Obviously, there were other things that were kind of expected or hopeful by a lot yeah. of kind of personal finance people out there. I know Martin Lewis, for example, was petitioning over the lifetime ISIS, yeah. which I'm sure if you want to, we can dive into. And they weren't given. So yeah. I think it was analyzed really nicely by a friend of mine, Mr. Mo Mr. Moneyjar, um, on social media. And I think his quote was, it, this is the kind of uh, the statement that's come out that feels like you need to sneeze. <laughs> yeah. but it hasn't come out you know when it's like stuck in your nose yeah it's a worse that's feeling the way world, that yeah. this this budget feels like to, yeah. to the personal finance community so i um you funny you mentioned martin lewis i saw a i saw a i think a, it was like a social study the other day of um if people were to elect a prime minister that wasn't a politician who's the most popular person in the country and it turns out it's martin lewis oh he'd have my vote yeah <laughs> uh, so okay i'm 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 now going to give you a huge promotion, Gabriel, and make you chancellor of the country. Yeah. Right. What would you have done, do you think, to ease some of the... I mean, you say it's tough times, and it, it certainly is tough times. What do you think could have been done that didn't get done? All right. I'm going to put like a hashtag biased in here. Right. Be because I'm in my 20s, obviously, yeah. the policies that I want are going to affect me the most. Mm -hmm. So I briefly touched upon lifetime ISAs, and this is actually something that I've got skin in the game here. So a lifetime ISA, if you don't know what it is, it's where the government throw 25% bonus on top of your money, saving towards a first-time property. You can pay up to £4,000 a year. So basically, in other words, in theory, you could get a £1,000 £1, given to you by the government. So how does that work? They just throw 25%? Literally, if you open this lifetime ISA account and yeah. you put in up to £4,000, the government will literally put 25% straight in on top. And you have to spend that on buying property? That has to go on property. But right. here's the caveat. It has to be below £450,000, that first-time right. property. Okay. Or you can save it towards retirement, but there's other right. vehicles that are probably so more efficient if you're in London, you piss right so this, off this, this is the exact thing. Not yeah. just London. I mean, like prices are going up like crazy right now, and that number hasn't changed. I think since 2017, when it came yeah. into account. Right. Um, don't quote me on that one. But the, the issue with that now. And is that towards? A, is that assume that's supposed a deposit, right? The or yeah, yeah. The you, put it, you put it towards your deposit exactly. But so here's the caveat, and this is what I really would have wanted. If you don't use that money and you want to withdraw it because you're like, oh, I'm going to buy a house. Oh, wait, the average two bedroom flat in the UK is now in London is now yeah. 500,000 pounds. Oh, yeah. I can't hit that 450,000 um, limit. You actually have to pay a 25% fine on the money that's inside of your account. Now, what does that mean? You're actually losing 6% of what you would put in there. Now, Martin Lewis, for one, has been petitioning so hard to just be like, get rid of that. Like, just take back the money you gave us. Don't yeah. then fine us on top of the original money we put into oh, that account. Oh, that's on top of the original yeah, money. So okay, yeah, so put it this way. Yeah, you put in £4,000. They give you 1000 You now have £5,000 in your account. Yeah. You want to take that 5000 out, but it's not towards a property. They take back 25%. Now, of, five the 4, that, of the 4000 that you put. Of the 5000 now. Of the 5000 yeah. That now takes right. away 6% of that original 4% right. that you put in on top of that. So yeah. that 
that's one policy that I would have absolutely loved. Also, I'd love to sort of see things on like stamp duty for first time buyers. I mean, yeah. I think if you ask the average 20 to 30 year old, probably even 30 to 40 year old now in the country, what's like the biggest headache that you have? Yeah. They'll say property. Yeah. Getting on the property ladder because that's been instilled into us from our, like the older generation. Get into that. That means you've kind of made it in life. I right? mean, I'm, I'm still in my 20s, just about clinging mm -hmm. on with my fingernails for a couple, <laughs> couple more months. But um, just the idea of owning property, certainly in London, is just a dream. A dream. <laughs> I think we, we did a show on housing not too long ago where we the data sh that we spoke about showed that the average deposit in London for a house is £110,000. That's the deposit. Such a scary number yeah. when the average salary in London is what thirty? Yeah, twenty nine. I think twenty nine k is the average salary. So, so that's three over three and a half years of not spending a penny <laughs> yeah, of your yeah, salary, yeah. and that's we haven't even spoken about tax taken off of that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah this is it's, so it's scary. You've time. done the ISAs. What else? Any other things that you think? Any other things that I would think? I would um, probably reform, like I was mentioning just before, stamp duty. Mm -hmm. um, it's, again, a massive amount of money that you have to pay in tax on your first-time property. I'd love to absolutely have abolished that. Inheritance tax, like I mentioned, that isn't something that I would have liked to look at. And then this is the last thing when it came to the in income tax bans. Yeah. I'd love for them to just Move. go up with yeah. inflation. Um, another thing that this hasn't affected me yet, but it will again in the future is, you know, child benefits. So yeah. child benefits, you lose them if you earn, go into that higher tax bracket, right? Mm -hmm. 50,000 pounds. They were set in 2013. Yeah. Apparently, if they would have gone up with inflation, it would now be if you're earning up to 65,000 pounds, you would keep your child benefit. Yeah. And obviously, I think I think we a lot of the discussions in the political sphere for the last 12 months have been childcare as well, because childcare is killing people the amount it costs i think the first three years um just spent on childcare for for families can be north of seventy five thousand pounds in london just childcare. doesn't so we're not talking about all the other like energy bills and stuff coming on top it's no, just childcare is seventy five thousand. yeah and i know i'm flying around with loads of different policies but i think that the overall thing that i'm trying to get to is it just feels a little bit unfair when inflation is going up so much so our money's being devalued yeah. but the things that are kind of set in stone like tax brackets like this lifetime isa threshold they're not going up with it which basically means that the government the term used i'm sure you've used it on this show before is like a stealth tax yeah it's when you're basically being taxed more without realizing it's not no. like they've said oh income tax is going up from 20 percent to 25 percent yeah no it's not but they're not moving things which means that in theory you are being paid more and those are the main policies that i would love to have shifted and adapted okay um can we also i mean you've got your own uh you're a content creator when it regards to finance and financial analyst work um <laughs> we've got a lot of listeners that are quite young who might not really know what some of the best options are for, for them and their own personal finance? What advice do you have for them? I like to say is you do have to take initiative. If you're a young person and it comes to your own money, unfortunately, we're not taught in school. If it is taught in your school, then your school are well advanced when it comes yeah. to that. I wasn't yeah. taught at school. I had to do it all myself. No, neither was I. Yeah. So what I say is don't, don't care which one, find a book of personal finance and force yourself to read it. Okay, mm. let's start with step number one. I often tell people that it takes a day, maybe even an hour to give yourself the personal finance understandings that could carry you through for the rest of your life. That's how easy this stuff is. But obviously mm. it's not put into curriculum, so it's not taught to the average person. My main tips to people, to really young people, is even if you don't think you're earning a lot, you have to start thinking about your future because we're getting soon people get to retirement age, which I know for us in our 20s, we're like, oh, it's miles off. Why do I need to start contributing towards my, towards my pension? Why do I need to yeah. start investing? Why do I need to even think about what an ISA is? There is all these questions yeah. like- I had this argument with my sister like two years ago, I think, because um, she was saying like, you know, 
times are so tough. Why am I giving 4% of my income into my pension? Exactly, but the truth is future you will, will thank you. I often like to walk this fine balance between enjoying your current life mm -hmm. and enjoying your future life. And right now, I don't think that people quite understand the the impact that starting early can have. Yeah. And starting early is, if you're 30 right now listening to this, start at 30. That is yeah. early for you now because there is no earlier point you in your life. Until in time, time yeah. travel comes out in 10 years time, yeah. that was on the government policy as well. That so uh, Offgem off are also saying that energy bills are set to go up by 100 pounds um, next year, or I think it's 90, yeah, 90 something pounds by um, by next year. Energy bills are a huge problem right now, particularly for you. My, my energy bills went up. You know, you pay this monthly rent. I think it went up by more than 100% um, wow. in the last sort of six months. Um, what, what can people do as when it comes to energy bills, do you think? I mean, there's plenty of just like- Because the problem with energy bills is you can't really switch providers. It's not like a phone bill where I can go from Vodafone to EE, for example. Well, you're kind of stuck we're not, with what We're not got. at the state right now even where there's like that much competition online. Yeah. Like switching from one to the other is not gonna like do anything crazy for you. There's not that many options out there. So the only things that you really can do is just, you know, just do good practices with inside, inside your actual house. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, setting things on a, a time switch so that things come on and off. Like if you're someone that works in the office five days a week and you're setting your heating to be on all day, yeah. these are little like one smart I, little hacks. I, one of my, one of the guys on my football team told me he gets up at like 3 a.m. to do his laundry then because the, it, it costs less. In the middle they of the night. Yeah, they charge you based on what, what time you I use I mean, your don't for. tell him this, but most washing machines have a timer. So you could probably just set it to come on at three o'clock. Mate, the way he <laughs> plays football, that's far too difficult an instruction to give him, trust me. Um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure. He, he, um, he'll, he'll be taking that into account. Um, so tell us a little bit more about your show, the, 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 the work that you do, the finance content work you do. Yeah, of course. So I'm Because it is a niche market, but it's so, like, it's so important now, particularly more than ever. Yeah, I'm literally just, uh, I started on... TikTok and like Instagram and those fun platforms where everyone yeah. was just dancing and entertaining people. Well, what's your background? Do you, do you work in finance? Background, actually, I studied engineering. Oh, wow. When okay. I worked in finance for two years at Barclays on my graduate scheme and on the side, just started to educate people on what my little side hobby was, <laughs> yeah. which was personal finance, which most people were like, that, that was your hobby. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm weird, okay? Yeah. Get it, I'm a maths guy, I like numbers. Yeah. And genuinely, I put out videos on like income tax and lifetime ISAs, which yeah. uh, to most people literally puts them to sleep. And those, the videos went viral yeah. and I just, it clicked for me that this information just isn't being given out there. Yeah. So literally, I have said literally so many times, that is bad English. <laughs> but over the past two to three years, I've been putting out three, four, five videos a week that just look to spark people's interest in yeah. finance. I mean, for example, today, the video today, we've got Black Friday tomorrow. Yeah. Um, if you want to really- was, I was asking my producer this before we, we went on, Black Friday, is that a real thing or is that a scam? Like, should I be doing my my, my shopping tomorrow? I despise oh, it. There are good deals, let yeah. me, let, let's be frank, but it's not quite the 10 years ago we used to watch like the news and see yeah. people like having fist like fights Royal Rumbles and 98% of off discount on a TV. Yeah, yeah exactly. The truth is there are good deals out there. Most of them are scams. By scams, I don't mean they're gonna steal your money. I it's, mean like the price isn't as good as what it yeah. seems. I mean, I think Witch um, did an independent study of the biggest like electronic stores, including Amazon, Curry's, all those kind of brands. And they saw that 98% of Black Friday deals, and I'm doing quotation marks for those of you yeah. listening, were found cheaper six months before or six months after the Black Friday deal, 98%. Um, so, so I'm not doing my shopping tomorrow. I genuinely like, I can't be bothered. If I see a really good deal, I'll do a little bit of research into it and, yeah. I'll, and I'll think to myself, yeah, that was great. Um, but if you are someone that loves Black Friday and can't help yourself, this is my nice little tactic. Um, especially if you're on your somewhere like shopping on Amazon, just yeah. push delivery to like two weeks from now. Yeah. 
and then over the next week, then actually figure out to yourself if you really wanted it and you just cancel delivery. Oh, you can cancel it. Yeah. I like it. I like Enough it. of this next day delivery Amazon Prime stuff. Nice. So listen, uh, lastly, before we before we let you go, um, you said you, you're you not a big fan of politics. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, <laughs> I feel bad for saying that I'm, now. No, it's okay. I'm going to nail you down on it now, though. Um, do you think, you know, this will have any real impact, this budget, to... You know, the Tories are struggling massively. Mm. I think every analyst, political analyst, is saying they're toast at the next general election. There's no way that they can win. Do you think that this budget, um, not this budget, this, this statement will have, this autumn statement will have any impact with people? Yes, I do think it will because they've got some nice headlines out of there. Um, will it move the needle enough? I don't think so. Did they do enough for the young voters who aren't interested in conservatives right now, at all right now? Not really, because yeah. I'm telling you all the things that I would have liked to see. So my answer is, it, it, will, it, will, it will bring it things like closer, but closer doesn't mean close. Yeah, I mean, they're 20 points behind, so closer They've is... got another announcement, I think, they, in spring they, that yeah. they can do things. And they maybe, maybe, maybe what they've done here is they've kind of like set themselves up for a final big hurrah that will do it for maybe. them. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us in the studio. That was Gabriel Nussbaum, finance content creator, former financial analyst, and now politics lover, joining us in the studio to talk about uh, the autumn statement. Uh, next, we're going to have Jamie Thunder, policy and public affairs officer at Z2K, and Andy Bell, CEO for Center of Ment for Mental Health, joining us to talk about some of the specifics uh, and reactions coming out of that autumn statement. Fubar Radio presents. All areas. And we are joined now by our lovely guest, James Johnson, celebrity hairdresser. How are you, James? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. What's Mel B like then? I oh, used the to best. be a spice boy. The best energy. Did you sing to her? I no, to... I can't sing. I'm nor can I, but I still but I remember don't. the job got cancelled. I went to wherever she was staying in London, it got cancelled. And whoever she was living with made us Victoria sponge cake. So the job got cancelled, we all sat around the table eating cake. I got in the car <laughs> and, and I was like, I've just sat with a spice girl eating Victoria sponge. Oh, noshing a bit of Vicky Sponge. <laughs> Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club. We are joined in the studio now by professional comedian Brett Goldstein. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing, Brett? Uh, I'm very grateful to be here with you two. If you could dig someone up and fuck them. Gene Kelly. <laughs> Gene Kelly and Cary Grant, right? Not Cary, there's not much time. <laughs> if I could dig up Gene Kelly, I'd say, could we do it, Dose? I've got the shovel in my boot. <laughs> In this scenario, is he still dead when you dig him up, or does he come out? Does he come to life? Is he a rotten corpse, or is he... That's my club. <laughs> dating or going on dates when you were, like, a teenager was always quite fun, though. Do you know what I mean? I remember going on dates to, like, the cinema, or you'd go shopping, like, shopping centres, wouldn't you? I think, if anything, they were... Maybe maybe this just says about life and where it is, but I used to get really excited, like, more excited than I do now. Like, the thought of going to meet someone in a park, a boy, it was like, oh, my fucking God, what trainers am I going to wear? Are my trainers clean? Am I going to plait my hair? It was like... It, the thought that would go through my head just to meet one person, whereas now... You know, you might meet someone on the way home from work and it's like the, the effort, you're still making an effort, but it's like, yeah, I can fit you in. It is it's completely different. You're listening to Food Bar Radio. Food Bar Radio. Food Bar Radio. Food Bar Radio. This is Ali Milani on Politics Uncensored. We are continuing our discussions around um, the autumn statements, reactions, responses, and what the future might look like uh, for the country following the autumn statement made 
by Rishi Sunak's government uh, a few days ago. And joining me now in the studio is Jamie Thunder, Policy and Public Affairs Officer at Z2K. And via Zoom, we've got Andy Bell, CEO at Centre for Mental Health. Uh, Jamie, I'm going to start with you, if that's okay, because you have my personal favourite name that's ever come on the show, <laughs> Jamie Thunder. What's your reaction, immediate reaction to the awesome statement? There were some good bits in the autumn statement, um, but they were the bits that shouldn't be news at all. Those were the uprating of benefits in line with September's inflation and the increase in local housing allowance. Um, we're in a very odd position where it's news and good news that as prices go up, so does the support you get from the state. Um, the bigger picture is that there are some bits we're really, really concerned about, particularly changes around the work capability assessment um, that is... Uh, not going to affect anyone who's currently in that group at the moment, but in the future it could have quite big effects, and I think we'll talk about that more in the few, in a few minutes. Yeah, uh, if I could come to you now, Andy, Andy Bell. I, I like your name also. I don't want you to to, to, to feel left Thank out. You very much. <laughs> but if very I could get, if I could get your reaction to the autumn statement. Yeah, I think uh, as uh, re really similar. There are some positive things in the autumn statement. Um, Clearly, the local housing allowance change. We know housing is so important; it's a fundamental basis for people's mental health. So, so if if you don't have safe housing and secure housing, you don't have good mental health. Um, also, an expansion in availability of talking therapies and uh, better quality employment support for people living with mental health difficulties, and and those are. Uh, extra investments. We hope that will will make a big difference. I think what's really worrying is. Um, the changes to disability benefits seem to be uh, putting people at greater risk of, of a conditionality regime. So being on, if you're on out of work benefits, be, being made to do certain activities uh, for, with the threat of your benefits being taken away. We know for people living with a mental illness, that's extremely harmful. And indeed for any, uh, any person on benefits, being subject to that can harm your mental health and have absolutely no uh, helpful element whatsoever in terms of getting uh, getting uh, paid work. Yeah, Jamie, if I could come back to you, you, you mentioned earlier, just just now when we spoke about reactions mm -hmm. that there were some missed opportunities maybe or some areas that, that weren't so positive. What are those, do you think? Yeah, one of them is the benefit cap, and that's a limit to the amount of benefits that you can get. That has been frozen again. It was increased last year for the first time ever. It's frozen again, which means that um, there's 70,000 or so households who will see none of the increase in local housing allowance or in yeah. basic benefits. That's despite the inflation yeah. that's going on. And so that means that you know, uh, yeah, that that means that that they won't be getting any more money in their pockets, and yeah. they will be. We're still in a period of high inflation, and there won't be any more money for that group. Well, so the report suggests that we're going to see this Christmas 14 million families in the UK that are either below or around mm. the poverty line up going into Christmas. Mm. Uh, do you think anything in this budget is likely to help, or are we are we stuck with that with that awful reality? Regardless. I, th I think there are, there are some small things that will stop it getting worse. I think for a lot of households, those increases we've just talked about will make a difference. But for a lot of our clients at Z2K and a lot of people around the country, the cost of living crisis started long before 2022. This has yeah. been a long time coming with uh, more than a decade of cuts and freezes to support for the people who need it most. Yeah. Andy, you're nodding your head at the cuts and freezes that's being discussed. Do you want to come in? Yeah. I mean, we know that... that um, Poor mental health and poverty uh, come together. Poverty uh, and, and not having enough money to live on is incredibly toxic to your mental health. Um, uh, and and it's a risk factor. It's not just an association. There is an actual risk that, that, that living in poverty and the consequences of poverty put adults and particularly children at risk of mental health difficulties that can last a lifetime. 
So, so uh, uh, people finding themselves unable to meet basic needs to, 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 to just keep life going from day to day, uh, that is both difficult to live with there and then, but it also has profound effects on mental health over the long term. Mm. That, of course, means people living with levels of distress. It also means that there's going to be greater demand for NHS services um, uh, as more and more people will seek support for their mental health if, if this impoverishment continues. Well, so what, what do you think should have been done? Um, you know, if, if I if I could have put you in charge of, of this autumn statement um, or a, a future budget, what do you think the government really needs to be doing, particularly to tackle the what? many are calling a mental health crisis across the UK? I think from a mental health perspective, we would like to see a well-being budget. We'd like to see the Treasury making all of its decisions, and indeed all government departments, making their decisions on the basis of what would benefit people's mental health or not, what would be good for mental health, what would cause harm. If we had a mental health policy test across the whole of government, including uh, when, when budgets were made, um, we could then actually have a government that, that, that really thought carefully about decisions made centrally and what that would mean. So, for example, um, uh, tackling the, the uh, current kind of barriers to, to having enough money to live on, um, particularly focusing on ensuring that, I mean, again, it's good to see that the living wage has gone up, but it, we, that needs to be the uh, real living wage um, along the lines that allow working people to have to, to bring in enough money to live on. Um, I think the two child limit to, to, to child benefit is causing enormous harm to families. Um, yeah. And that really does need to be looked at. And indeed, we need to make up for the historical um, undervaluing of benefits. Um, so, so that, you know, keeping up with current inflation is fine, but, but all that does is leave us back to where we started rather yeah. than actually making up uh, the gap. Um, so we need to put money in the hands of the poorest. There's no doubt about that from a mental health perspective. Mm -hmm. Inevitably, we'd also like to see um, investment in mental health support, particularly early mental health support uh, that can help people before they get to a crisis. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and while there has been investment in mental health services in recent years, which has been welcome, uh, we need to keep going and, and we need to particularly focus on, on help that uh, is before you need uh, clinical support. Yeah, Andy, uh, Jamie, I think Andy's picked up on a couple of points that, that have really been key, not just with this autumn statement, but throughout the cost of living crisis. That's the the living the national living wage, what they're calling the living wage. I think campaigners, trade unions and others have called for a £15 real living mm. wage that, that those noises have largely been ignored by not just the Conservatives, but now the Labour Party also. Um, the two-child limit, which is really quite a cruel policy that, again, is, is unclear whether you, would Labour would mm -hmm. challenge. The Conservatives certainly um, certainly won't. And then the, the, the benefits, the, the, the real-time sort of cuts to benefits over years and years and years. What are your responses to, to some of these key issues that have gone unaddressed in this budget? Absolutely. They've gone unaddressed. And they've gone unaddressed for a long time. Um, we've got yeah the, the benefit cap and the two-child limit both explicitly break that link between what you need and what you get yeah. and that means our social security system isn't working in the way that it should but can, can i just ask how frustrating is it so the government is able to not move on these things because they're really not getting much pressure from the opposition because labor hasn't really put its foot on the gas on the mm. two-child policy in, in fact i think the noises are that that there's no there's no real sort of keenness to get rid of that policy 
um, they all have them back to fifteen pound minimum wage, mm-hmm. and therefore, the, you know, there's not real any pressure coming from the other side. And in politics, when that happens, you know, if you're ideologically bound one way and you're not getting any pressure from mm-hmm. your opposition, no reason to move, right? Yeah, we definitely like to see more more pressure being put on the government for these decisions. And one thing that that is causing is that the charity sector is having to use a huge amount of campaigning effort and expertise to effectively tread water. So the local housing allowance increase uh, that had been frozen for three years, there's been a huge coalition of which Z2K has been a part to get that put back to the 30th percentile of Do you want to explain that for people who might not not understand what it is and what the freeze meant and now what the... Yeah, absolutely. So the local housing allowance uh, sets um, the maximum you can get if you're living in the private rented sector um, towards your housing costs. That is set to cover the cheapest 30% of rents. And that was last increased in April 2020. So Mm -hmm. right at the start of the pandemic. Since then, we know rents have gone up and up and up. But that amount hasn't gone up and up and up. So you've had to top that up from other income, effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, huge coalition of charities. Really, no, there's no, it, it, it's such a common sense argument, right? That as rents go up, so should the support for them so that you're not asking people to top that up from what little other income they've got. And it's taken a huge amount of effort and, and expertise just to get it back to this point. And that's only for this year. We still There's no commitment yet for what will happen next year. And basic levels of benefits and the local housing allowance each year at the moment, they're just a political football. Mm-hmm. And that causes huge amounts of, of stress and uncertainty for, for claimants, for people who rely on this money, and also for the charity sector. There's a lot of other things we could be campaigning on more if we didn't have to have this fight every single year, if it was put into primary legislation. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if I had, if I could anoint you Chancellor Jamie, you know, what are some of the areas that we haven't spoken about that you would have liked to see addressed or see addressed in a future budget that's going to be coming in the spring? Yeah, absolutely. One thing that we need to see addressed is around disability benefits and particularly the um, decision making system within that. We know that um, 75 percent or so of um, disability benefits uh, appeals are won by Mm -hmm. the claimant. That is ridiculous. That's been is that true? 75% so that go to appeal. Are, 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 either the are depart- ruled in favour of the claimant. Either ruled in favour or they never get to the hearing because yeah. the department gives up before then. So that means 75% of these appeals should have gone through to begin with and they were, you know, yeah. that, that they're making and, and particularly harsh rules. Absolutely. And, and there's who knows how many people who don't push it all the way. For and just imagine reason. the stress that these families are going through when they're having to... I mean, I'm, I'm sure Andy will touch on the yeah. mental health element of if you're already living in poverty, if you're already living in a cost of living crisis, when you're now getting the wrong analysis mm. on your on your claims and you're having to appeal, that's just... A, and, and, and these can be really significant amounts that, of money that are there to cover the extra costs that your health condition or disability yeah. uh, causes for yeah. you. Uh, Andy, um, Jamie's just resigned as Chancellor, so I'm now passing the baton on to you. What, uh, what are some of the things you would have liked to see addressed, or what would you do? Yeah, I think that the, the disability benefits point is a really important one. We, we uh, for both um, PIP, the, the personal independence payment, and uh, out-of-work disability benefits, we have a uh, assessment with a stranger. Um, it's called the work capability assessment in, in the case of people who are out of work. We know particularly for people with a mental illness, it's a very poor way of identifying how uh, disabled you are and how significant that is. Um, It often causes immense harm, um, as well as being plainly inaccurate, and and it's therefore very inefficient, as well as potentially putting people on the wrong level uh, of benefits. So so, uh, the current government has said it wants to uh, get rid of the work capability assessment, which is positive. But of course, what it's replaced by is absolutely crucial. So, so we'd want to see 
uh, the Chancellor actually coming up with a system that was fair uh, for people uh, mm -hmm. who, who uh, need disability benefits that, that relies on evidence, for example, from their health professionals who actually know them uh, and can provide um, relevant and, and correct uh, evidence so, yeah. so that people don't have to go through this this um, pretty awful process. Um, uh, and then crucially, we really do need to see uh, an end to benefit conditions and sanctions. They achieve nothing. They cause immense harm. Uh, they're very. If, if it was a health intervention, uh, you would be told to stop this immediately. It's dangerous. Just don't do it. Mm -hmm. um, and yet it continues to happen despite the, the so, evidence. So what you're talking about there is... Causes harm. So these are conditions that they place upon the benefits that people receive. And if they don't do them, their benefits are cut and they're left with nothing, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. And and um, uh, what we we have really good evidence about how you can support people living with a mental illness into work. There's a, an approach called individual placement and support. We've been advocating it for a number of years and the NHS is now implementing it nationwide, which is great. And, and there is some more funding for it in the autumn statement. Yeah. Uh, that's based on completely voluntary participation, no one being turned away, but no one being made to do it. Yeah. And people being helped with the jobs they want to get in their yep. own time uh, and then helped when they get the job to stay there if that's what they want. Yep. We know that is immensely effective. And if, if, I, if that, Go ahead, sorry, sorry, finish that, yeah. Uh, and if that's then undermined by a system that says, well, if you don't do certain activities, we'll take your benefits away, uh, we're going to be investing in a really effective intervention and then holding it back from day one. So we've really got to have a consistent approach here do what works and don't do the things that don't work yeah um last question i'll ask before we we go to our word on the streets um very quickly uh, you know if you could grade if you were a teacher and you were grading this autumn statement in regards to how it will affect ordinary people around the country andy what what grade are you giving them sorry was that for me first I yes yeah a um, to f what are you giving them uh, I'm probably going to give a kind of uh, somewhere between a C and a D. C and a D. Jamie, what do you what do you think of you? On the basis of the um, changes to disability benefits within Universal Credit that they've announced, um, it's got to be a D or an E. A D or an E. So that's not a great that's not a great uh, grading for Rishi Sunak uh, or uh, his Chancellor Jeremy Hunt. Um, now, normally I do this bit by myself, but I'm going to ask you both to stay if that's okay, because I think it's of interest to you. And this is our word on the street. One of my favorite segments when we send our reporters out on the ground to hear from ordinary people. Um, not that you two aren't ordinary people. I'm talking about myself here. Um, so our new politics reporter, Kate, Caitlin Yardley, headed on the streets of central London to find out what people really think. And our question this week was, if you were in charge of the UK economy, what would you do first? Invest more in the NHS, for sure. More money for nurses, junior doctors, yeah. all of that. Reduce the taxes. Cost of living crisis is there. We all feel it. I don't know a lot about the economy, but I know something needs to be done about the NHS. Uh, I'd make all public transport free, you know what I'm saying? Because public transport's a joke. And also, I would make all the ULEs and all that bullshit. I'd throw that, yeah, it's too expensive, man. I'd like to put more money into the NHS and sort out the management at the top. Boycott, divest and sanction from Israel um, as a means of direct action against the genocide going on in Palestine. Tackle homelessness. I would increase cooperation tax, get rid of austerity, invest more in social housing and nationalise the railway and the water. That money would be directed straight towards me, a pound each from everyone. Get me tens of millions. No one will notice. The cleanest heist of all history. 
<laughs> well, leaving the cleanest heist of all history at the end. Um, we've only got 15 seconds, really, from you each. Um, NHS seems to be the main one. What's your reaction to what you're hearing from people? Clearly, the NHS is really important. I'd say the social security system is in dire need of a huge amount of investment. Yeah, Andy? Completely agree. We do need better health services. We also need better social care services. Uh, and, and people need enough money to live on. Otherwise, we just create more illness, which means we need yet more health services. Well, thank you to you both. That was Jamie Thunder, Policy and Public Affairs at Z2K and Andy Bell, CEO at Centre for Mental Health. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us. We've been discussing the autumn budget. You can go back and listen to all of our previous shows uh, on all podcast platforms and at Politics, uh, at FUBAR Radio website. Uh, I am Ali Milani. You can find me at Ali Milani UK and you can find us on Instagram at Politics FUBAR. Do, do give us a watch, do give us a listen and leave a review. Thank you so much for joining me for what has been a brilliant episode. I will be back next week for another episode of Politics Uncensored. Salams.